Welcome to the podcast, Potables Network. You're listening to Power Bombs and Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN for pro wrestling news and talk. You can also follow us on Instagram and untapped at Process Potables, and check out our other shows on Twitter at Process Potables and at PucksPPN. Sixer start Monday night. Flyers are already in the uh, playoffs. Come on. What are you waiting for? Listen to uh, what we're doing uh, every week on uh, the uh, the website, which you can do for news, blog posts, info, and breweries and other places that we've worked with and more. You can check out processpotables.com for all the daily recaps and gratings of each game of this playoffs that Dan and Steve have been doing from the Process Potables end on the Sixers. Well, this week, Retribution is back once again. Uh, Jericho gets freshly squeezed, and the WWE brings back a pedophile. We'll talk about it on this week's Power Bombs and Potables. Welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables, part of the podcast Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates, and I'm your host every single week. Right here, we drop it Monday morning for you. We recap the week that was in professional wrestling news and so much more. Welcome back again. We've been here doing this since March. I believe this is uh, maybe week week number 20, something like that. Uh, but before we do any of that stuff, we always start it off with this week's Quick sips. All right. So for this week's quick sips, I am actually very excited. This is the first time I'm ever trying this. This I got sent to me from Alasta Brewing Company out in Covina, California. It is a um, collaboration beer with the Guerreros. This is the Los Guerreros Mexican Lager, uh, all the way out from, like I said, Alasta Brewing Company. Uh, it's a 5.0. It is a Mexican-style lager. Really cool-looking can here. Uh, it's an all-black can. The design is a, um, it looks like, um, almost like a Day of the Dead skull, kind of, uh, but with silhouettes and other stuff in there you can definitely tell that it's supposed to be uh wrestlers of sorts can't really say that it's like eddie and chavo but it's definitely cool it's got the guerrero name warrior which is chavo's thing that he's always worked with and has the chavo name this is viva la rasa it's really cool can art here um on the back uh, it says in, in 1837 the guerrero family began their journey into the world of lucha libre mexican wrestling through parts uh through through uh, pairs uh, sorry, this is a really weird uh, lettering here. Through years of hard work and determination, they would rise to become the most famous Mexican family in all of wrestling. Spanning a, uh, six continents and countless countries, they rose to the top uh, by hard work and determination. So when it came to creating a beer, it was no different. 
It had to be the best. That is why the Guerreros partnered with award-winning Alasta Brewing Company to bring you a beer that would be better than the rest. So from the first family of Lucha to yours, salute. Very cool looking uh, can here again. I got myself a, a couple of these. So we're going to try this for the first time right here, live on the podcast. Swig of beer. Well, that was a big swig. Hmm. <laughs> I need another one. Hold on. It is not what I expect to, to, to have in a Mexican lager. A lot of Mexican lagers, uh, I'm used to having almost kind of maybe like a like a hint of lime in it. That tastes like a lager, but there's something to it that I, I can't figure out because it's not something normal. I, I guess it maybe. Uh, being that it's brewed out in California, in southern part of California, near Mexico, uh, a Mexican lager to them might be something different than it is to us. I'm going to keep drinking that throughout the show. Uh, I spent enough time on that. Uh, for the news this week, we're going to dive right on into that. So Pro Wrestling Sheet confirmed that SummerSlam will likely be taking place at the Amway Center in Orlando. According to sources, uh, the deal is close to being finalized, but all the contracts had yet to be signed as of uh, mid this past week. Now, we know that as of Friday, trucks had already began, the production trucks had already began arriving at the Amway Center in Orlando. And uh, all through SmackDown's broadcast, they kept bringing up, well, SmackDown will be live next Friday night, but it will not be from the Performance Center. So we knew something's up. Uh, the location was reported by E-Wrestling News and Russell Boats. Uh, they have reported that fans will not be in attendance at the show. WWE's also exploring the idea of using uh, the facility going forward for other events as well. Uh, PW Insider uh, also reported with this that the company is toying with the possibility of using virtual fans in the arena, similar to the NBA, uh, the MLB, and uh, I know the NHL is not using that, but the NBA, it, it makes for a cool look, at least gives you something else than just uh, the, the dingy back walls of a essential production studio. Pro Wrestling, she also reported that AEW nearly, nearly doubled the amount of fans present at this past week's dynamite taping at Daly's Place when, with uh, new COVID protocols in place. According to sources, the show in Jacksonville had full security outside of the venue who were getting people through metal detectors and assisting with temperature checks. The temperature checks were being done through an iPad-like device and uh, that would scan your face and verify that you were wearing a mask as well. Their sources said that there was about 150 spectators in attendance who were seated further away than usual from the people who uh, had been COVID tested sitting closer to the ring. Uh, just as before, the invited spectators were also seated in every other row to add space between people. One person in attendance stated that the changes to the show made it feel more like a test for reopening than a closed set TV production like it usually has been. Spectators are also required to wear their face masks at all times. It should be noted that one fan in attendance wrote about the experience uh, on Twitter saying that there were mask enforcement throughout the night, making sure that everyone had to keep theirs on. So that's great to hear. The Tampa Bay Times reports that a man has been arrested at the home of Sonia Deville. Now, this just broke this afternoon. Uh, a fan named Philip Thomas II, a 24-year-old, uh, has been stalking Deville and plotted out a kidnapping plan over the last eight months. 
He was stalking her on social media for years. Uh, Figure Four Weekly Online reported that they received a call from Sonya Deville's neighbor confirming it was her. Uh, Sheriff Chad uh, uh, Cronister uh, issued a response from the matter saying, It's frightening to think uh, of this all that all the way this incident could have played out that the home alarm had not gone off and alerted the homeowner of an intruder. Thomas II was arrested and charged with aggravating stalking armed burglary, burglary and dwelling attempted, uh, attempted armed kidnapping and criminal mischief. He is being held without bail. Thomas had parked uh, his car at around midnight and walked to Sonia Deville's home. Uh, then he allegedly cut a hole in the patio screen and remained there for three or four hours while he was watching and listening through the window, it is believed that DeVille and her friend were watching the UFC card uh, this past Saturday night at the time that this happened. Around 2.45 a.m., DeVille went to bed. Thomas entered her home using a sliding glass door. This activated an alarm, and he was spotted. Thomas fled DeVille's home, and she called 911. Thomas was found carrying a knife, plastic zip ties, duct tape, mace, and other things he could have used in the kidnapping. It is believed he was going to hold the homeowner, uh, Sonia Deville, hostage. At this time, Sonia Deville has not publicly addressed this situation. My goodness, that is... That's some crazy stuff. What the hell? And I saw a picture of this guy. This guy looks literally like a full-sized horn swaddle. Take that as you will. On Thursday, it was revealed that AEW has released Sadie Gibbs, Jimmy Havoc, and B. Priestley. Uh, AEW had previously stated that they were evaluating Havoc's status with the company in the wake of allegations made in the hashtag Speaking Out movement by his ex-girlfriend Rebecca Crow and others. The company had also said he would be receiving treatment and counseling in an effort to overcome mental health and substance abuse challenges in his life, but it is unclear if that had ever actually happened. Havoc announced that he had signed with AEW back in February of last year and was used fairly regularly in the company uh, until the allegations against him came out. All Elite Wrestling has not actually confirmed any of these releases publicly at this time. If there's anybody that I'm upset about here because I fucking I do not like Jimmy Havoc, it's B Priestley. She's got a very interesting look, and the the matches that she did were good. Obviously, she's she lives in Japan. She's a mainstay out there, and a lot of it came from the fact that. None of the people that have been wrestling, you have not seen Riho, you have not seen uh, B. Priestley, you didn't see, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the chick who looked like Freddie Mercury, there's so many that we legitimately haven't seen in six months that I couldn't even tell you what their names were because they weren't even on TV every week. Um, but the B. Priestley one does kind of surprise me, I'm guessing they're just making the cuts because these people have no clue when they're coming over, she's not going to keep them on the payroll, I guess that makes sense. On Tuesday, NXT superstar Shotzi Blackheart says that uh, said that she might be wrestling this past week's NXT in street clothes because her car was stolen with her gear and her helmet inside of it. Shotzi tweeted Black uh, Shotzi tweeted on Tuesday morning stating that my car was stolen outside of her apartment last night uh, in Orlando, 2015 white Honda Civic with her license plate. Uh, last track driving down uh, Chicksaw at 5 a.m. Uh, she also said, also my gear bag with all my gear, boots, entrance jacket, and helmet were in the trunk. If you are wondering why I'm wrestling in street clothes and don't have my helmet, that's why. Uh, she said, I'm mostly sad about my helmet. The f- my first day of training seven years ago, I saw that helmet hung up on a wall next to the ring. I looked at it every day. I went to training. Finally, when it came time for me to start having matches, I asked my trainers if I could have it. R.I.P. Helmet. Well, luckily, Shotzi then shared an update via YouTube on Thursday explaining that she had received a call from the police Wednesday 
Uh, Wednesday in the evening, uh, about her car while brushing her teeth, fellow NXT star Jake Atlas then gave her a ride to meet with officers who were in a field with her vehicle. When the officers opened the trunk for Blackheart, who was in her wrestling gear because NXT aired live this past Wednesday night, uh, she was overjoyed seeing her helmet again and hugged it tightly after it was handed to her. That's a nice happy ending. A uh, couple of uh, notes on things coming back. Ring of Honor will resume their fil- filming TV uh, this month after ceasing production back in March due to COVID. The company announced uh, the following this past Tuesday in a press release. Uh, with the safety and health ta- of talents, staff and production crew at the forefront, Ring of Honor will return to producing new episodes of the Ring of Honor wrestling television program this August 2020 in the home state of Maryland. Ring of Honor will adhere to very stringent uh, protocol as well as regulations set in place by the Maryland State Athletic Commission. Ring of Honor will be instituting the uh, necessary testing and safety measures in continued effort to prevent the spread of COVID-19. There will be no fans or staff who are non-essential to the production present during these events. Taking care of our people during this uh, difficult time has still been uh, and still is our number one priority. Ring of Honor Chief Officer Joe Coff said that's why uh, we have spent many weeks working along the Maryland State Commission in gearing towards our return to producing wrestling action. The strictest of protocols, testing, and measures will be in place to assure us of this directive. Uh, the announcement also notes that the Ring of Honor tapings uh, will pick up right where things left off with the focus of the ROH Pure Title Tournament. As you recall, ROH's last events got canceled. It was the 18th anniversary show and the past versus present in Las Vegas that were supposed to be on March 13th and 14th. That also being said, the United Wrestling Network, the NWA, and Thunder Studios are partnering to launch a new live weekly wrestling pay-per-view series that's going to air on national cable slash satellite TV as well as streaming on Fight TV. It's going to be referred to as United Wrestling Network's Primetime Live and will premiere on Tuesday, September the 15th at 9 p.m. So, what does this mean? This means that the NWA is back. But instead of using the prior way that they were shooting it in a studio with a a paid crowd that were selling out all of their tapings, they're going to no audience, so there's no revenue there. However, they're working on pulling the old TNA model. They're going to be doing weekly pay-per-views that are going to be airing Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. until this is all done. For what it's worth, it's not a horrible idea. But the NWA has yet to say how much these are. If if they pull out the old NWA TNA $10 a week and you give them two hours instead of one like you were with power, I can easily see this being a success. Because all they would need to do is film a month's worth of TV. Do it in two days. And then you have four pay-per-views. The views that their shows got were around 600,000, I wanna say. Because it was on YouTube for free, you take a sixth of that. You say 100,000 people spend $10 a week. There can be some some assets there. They're not going to be running big buildings. They're going to be most likely doing it in a soundstage. So the cost will be down compared to running an arena, which is where TNA had their issues. Much luck to the NWA because I do love their product. And it should also be noted that the MLW will be returning to taping very soon 
Uh, Court Bauer said they expect an announcement within the next month for that. And finally, after years of rumors, multiple independent promotions have finally become part of the WWE Network. This past weekend, uh, this happened. The statement and the announcement from the WWE was Evolve Progress Wrestling from England, Germany's XWX, or I said that backwards, WXW, and Scotland's ICW will debut for subscribers to the award-winning streaming service, the WWE Network. Um, Basically, this is going to be able to really fill in a lot of the gaps. You know, um, so many people that have been on these rosters now, Drew McIntyre, Timothy Thatcher even, have have had so many things and you got the evolve so basically it's the best of drew mcintyre and evolve uh and you you have him here roderick strong ricochet johnny gargano alistair black matt riddle keith lee uh walter dominic dijakovic cool stuff that they're going to be able to add obviously we reported a couple months ago that evolve was purchased by the wwe so they get the tape library. In addition to the best of shows, they've also uploaded events from the promotion. So uh, WXW Female uh, Fatals 2019, WXW Ambition 11, Progress Wrestling Chapter 92, and ICW's Shug Hoose Party 5, Night Number 2. These promotions uh, had been rumored to be part of the plans that the WWE Network had for a rumored tiered subscription package. I guess that never came to fruition. Uh, but it was going to be, I believe they were looking for an extra $5 and they were going to bring in a bunch of independent promotions. Personally, I'm they have my $9.99 forever. But I could really care less about the, um, the other things. However, for the people that are completely anti-WWE, that are big into those indie promotions, this is going to be a great way for the WWE to also get their money. It's brilliant on their part. And that's it for this week's quick sips. And I know it wasn't really quick. I mean, we are now about 18 minutes into this program already, and we're just getting to this. But there was a lot of beef on uh, on some of that news. Quick swig of beer. This is Los Guerreros. Keep it cold. As dumb as it sounds, it also could be now that I'm thinking about it. You know, I, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from New Jersey. And one thing that I've always noticed is, obviously, one of the main, main ingredients in beer is water. And water has a different taste depending on where you're at. It could have a lot to do with the water. That's just a random thing. So last week, I forgot to talk about the debut of Retribution. They were on Monday Night Raw. They did that horrible uh, spot where there was the lights flickering all night long. And then they showed the quote-unquote footage from earlier that evening, which would have been during the daylight. And they were outside, and it was pitch black outside and uh they were blowing up the generator which was in the middle of a parking space and nowhere near the building which is where you usually keep generators because nobody runs a generator across their parking lot that's fucking stupid when you own the building and you're not even renting it like logic there come on logic and then smackdown there was different people and the they came out and destroyed the ring and, and the whole ring side and all that stuff. The one thing that they, they were speaking of this week, and I heard uh, from Dave Melter, is that everybody who has been under these hoods are not the people that are going to be playing the roles. Right now, they just have random NXT people 
under these hoods coming out and causing the chaos. So any rumors that you've read of Dominic Dijakovic, none of it's true because apparently they don't even know. Classic WWE, they have started an angle and they're just going to figure it out when they get there. Hopefully it's better than Rikishi running over Stone Cold. But I digress. Retribution was back in this week. We'll talk about it as we get to the show's from the week. Uh, let's jump into Monday Night Raw from this past week. And the things that I dug and maybe didn't really uh, dig about it. So so the show started off with the contract signing for the Seth Rollins-Dominic Mysterio match for SummerSlam. Samoa Joe was in the ring, and I found that interesting based off of last week when Joe really got into it with... Uh, Rollins and Murphy. Basically, in here, Rollins tells Dominic, telling him that he should have been grateful and that he gave him an opportunity to succeed by agreeing to an extreme rules match. Uh, but he never would last in a true wrestling match with Seth Rollins. I kind of dig that. However, they also announced that Dominic was signing two contracts here. He was not only signing the contract for this match at SummerSlam, but he was also signing a WWE wrestler's contract, which we know Dominic's actually under contract, but they've never made that clear. So now this is the official notice that, hey, this kid's under contract. He's going to be working for us. And it was just announced uh, yesterday that this match is now going to be a street fight at SummerSlam. I'd be okay with this if it wasn't for the fact that this whole feud, it makes sense that they're bringing the street fight in, but the street fight's usually not the first match, and it also is to cover up weaknesses. The problem here is that Dominic's already coming in kind of, you could look at it with a chip on his shoulder. He's the son of Rey Mysterio. He's getting put right into a main storyline with one of the top main event draws. And he's debuting at SummerSlam. So he didn't go through NXT. He didn't have to do any of that stuff. And he's 21 years old. We know that he's trained with Brian Kendrick and even, you know, trained by his own son, Rey Mysterio. But the, the thing is that I feel that in order for people to want to give him any type of credibility is he's going to need to really go out and wow people. You know, that first Ronda Rousey match at WrestleMania a couple of years back Yes, it was scripted very well and was planned out, and they executed it to a T. But the one thing that came out of that match was how much everybody said Ronda Rousey was she was the star of the show, and it was definitely they. Everybody was not denying the fact that the match was definitely pre pre worked out, but it gave her credibility right out of the gate. And I feel that they should have done this exact same scenario with Dominic and Rollins. Give the kid a chance while they're still maybe trying to make him better. Obviously, putting him in the ring with someone like Rollins who can carry him is, is another big thing. I mean, you're going to put Dominic in a match with some Jay Bro. Are you going to put him in with Murphy even? That's, I don't like the odds of that match going well. That's kind of where they're, they're kind of maybe hurting themselves by not putting him into NXT to really polish him up in the ring and get used to everything up to and including times and, and TV cues. Cause eventually he's going to work on TV. You got to know how to work with all those things. And I just found that interesting. 
this leads to a match with uh, freaking Rollins and Humberto Carrillo. Do I even need to tell you who wins that match? I don't think so. Bianca Belair and Zelina Vega ended up having a match on Raw this week. We talked about it last week, how they did the angle. Uh, these two shot an angle themselves, essentially, where uh, Zelina was streaming on her Twitch channel and uh, Bianca Belair just showed up in her house and beat her up. I thought it was a cool angle. They did not play any of the footage this week. I don't even think they talked about it on this broadcast, but these two had a match and Bianca Belair won. I felt that they could have done more with it. Once again, WWE just not caring when other people go essentially over their head to try and beef up a storyline. This week, Apollo Crews had a match with Shelton Benjamin. Now this Sunday at SummerSlam, Apollo is going to be go defending that title once again, the United States title that is against MVP. I was disappointed by this match because not only, I mean, Shelton Benjamin beat Apollo Crews, but I felt that they could have done so much more with this. Again, Apollo Crews is a guy that they really never gave a chance to, and then they magically put him in a role as a champion. And you put him in the ring with someone like Shelton Benjamin. On a three-hour show, you can give these guys time. Let people see what these guys can do. Because at this point, I guarantee you, 90% of this crowd still does not take Apollo Crews seriously as your United States champion. And, and I'm not one of them. Like, I know that the guy's got potential, but he's never been given a chance to show it. Eventually, what's going to happen is that that time period is going to run out, and people are just not going to care. That's just important if you ask me. Well, uh, there was another spot with Akira Tozawa and his ninjas, and R-Truth ends up rolling him up on the apron. Uh, I mean, not the apron, the, the ramp afterwards to win the coveted 24-7 championship for like the 39th time. Was what it was. More Liv Morgan stuff and uh, who cares? Keep moving on. Match was horrible. Here was the one thing that I was very intrigued about. We talked about it last week. They did Bailey versus Asuka. If Asuka could beat Bailey in a match that Sasha pushed on Bailey, then Asuka will get her rematch against uh Asuka at SummerSlam for the Raw Women's Championship. These two had a great match. In the end of the day, well, Bailey got rolled up and knocked, put into the Asuka lap, and she tapped out in like two seconds. Because in the end, which I'm sure this can get brought into the argument, and I like it when you think about it this way, is Bailey tapped out in two seconds because in the end of the day, it's not her title that she's got to worry about. It's it's Sasha's. She did the match, but why would she hurt herself when her, it's not even a match for her title? I'm sure, that'll get brought up later at a different point in time. Two things left I want to talk about from Monday Night Raw. Raw Underground. Once again, the big feature this week. Last week, the feature was... The Hurt Crew, well, the Hurt Business, sorry, the Hurt Business, and even Dolph Ziggler taking a uh, a shot in, in Underground. This week, we saw Shayna Baszler, and Shayna Baszler literally picked a fight with three people. Now, the reports came out the next day that apparently these other, the three women were told to take it easy on 
Shannon Baszler. You heard that, right? There were reports on a pro wrestling dirt sheet website that pro wrestlers working a worked shoot fight were told to take it easy. Are we fucking serious right now? The, the things that these people do, do for clicks. Now, I, I have something to say. Uh, later on in this show, um, that the Dave Meltzer said this week, and I like Dave Meltzer. I've met Dave Meltzer and had a, a conversation with him back in New Orleans. Uh, no, it wasn't New Orleans. I'm sorry. It was Dallas for WrestleMania 32. Uh, but a lot of these sites that, that do this shit, and they just create obvious stories for clickbait you're just the people that click on them are the ones that make me shake my damn head because they believe it as the gospel and that's where the problem is Randy Orton versus Kevin Owens here now remember this match got put up because Ric Flair agreed to the match on Randy Orton's behalf so Orton ends up Orton and and Owens had a you know a, a great match in the end of the day these two Really, well, you figure it's Orton, you figure it's Owens. They beat the shit out of each other because it didn't, it didn't matter. What's really to talk about is after this. Randy Orton right away says that he's distancing himself from Ric Flair. Ric Flair gets the microphone and basically says that he, he puts Orton over to the moon. He says that he wants Orton to be the one that breaks his... 16 title winning streak, not John Cena. He wants to be by the side of Randy Orton because he is the best. And he puts Orton over, tells him how much he loves him. Orton hugs him, whispers in his ear, and then low blows Ric Flair. He then goes for the punt. And right as he goes for the punt, the lights go out. And then the lights come back on. And they tease that it was retribution. Here's my problem with the situation. You low blow Ric Flair. Ric Flair does not have to take a bump. He's a 70-some-year-old man. Orton literally helped him to the ground. That's all you had to do here if you wanted to do this breakup so badly. However, they insisted on him doing the punt, which... If you're going to do the punt, you need to follow through with the punt. So they give you the the creative narrative to make that yourself that he actually connected with this punt. When we all know he didn't because they're not going to actually do that to a 72-year-old who was in a coma uh, for six days as of three years ago and is, is lucky to be alive at this point in time. They're not going to do that. So I hated the fact that they even thought that this was necessary for this situation. All he had to do was pick up, was, was, was low blow him, pick up the microphone and just lay next to Rick, lay there like a snake and cut a promo, not just on Ric Flair, but on Drew McIntyre and say how if he does this to someone that he loves, like Ric Flair, just imagine what he's going to do to Drew McIntyre at SummerSlam. That's all he had to do. But instead, that's not what they did. 
And I was not a fan of it. As you can tell, I'm a little heated and I felt that it was unnecessary. I should also note that tomorrow night, we're getting the returns of Rey Mysterio and Shawn Michaels to Monday Night Raw. Gee, let's see. Randy Orton, Legend Killer, Shawn Michaels. Oh, well, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow night to Shawn Michaels. It's going to be a damn shame when he gets punted in the head and then is on NXT two nights later, breaking up a Pat McAfee, Adam Cole pull apart that is bound to happen. Just uh, expect that one. Moving on to Tuesday Night Impact Wrestling, which has been a hot program. I've been talking about it, putting it over since Slammiversary. And I talked last week how Eric Young took out Rich Swan. So expect Willie Mack to have, I guess, a feud or whatever with Eric Young. Well, this show comes on the air, and these two are already brawling in the back. And they come out to the ring, and they have a match. And it was what it needed to be. In the end, uh, Eric Young beat Willie Mack, made him look up the lights with the pile driver, which is Eric Young's finisher. And it really solidifies Eric Young is now going to be at this point in the upper, like, he's literally mid card right below the main event. And that's where he's hovering. They're going to continue, I'm sure, with this Eddie Edwards challenge for a couple of more weeks till eventually Eric Young gets his opportunity. Once he gets that opportunity and wins the title from Eddie Edwards, maybe you have the rematch with Eddie Edwards. He keeps it. Maybe one other little feud. That's when you bring back Rich Swan. Rich Swan finally gets his title match that he wants against Eric Young. And the story has already told itself. But in the meantime, you you keep people remembering that this all started with him returning back at Slammiversary and quote-unquote retiring Rich Swan. Uh, Wrestle House this week was, uh, it was, it was interesting. The one thing that I found interesting about it was, you know, and I'll say this, I'm going to actually, I think I might have talked about this in recent weeks. I've never been a Taya Valkyrie fan. I haven't. But... Russell House all of a sudden has really just awkwardly made her a fan. Like, I even find her attractive now. I didn't really find her attractive before. And there's just something about her presence and the way that she's carrying herself on this show that I just, I really enjoy. And the whole story about this, as I went over last week, of Russell House is a bunch of wrestlers that are trapped in this house. Uh, and they're trapped there until Johnny Bravo basically professes his love for Rosemary, which is what they're teasing is eventually going to happen. They set up a match next week for Taya Valkyrie versus Kylie Ray, which is going to happen at the Russell, um, the Russell house, which is cool because next week is impacts emergence night one. It's going to be a two night pay-per-view uh, worthy show uh, next week. Well, next week being this week, this coming Tuesday night and next week, will be night number two. I'll do the rundown before uh, we leave here. Uh, Kimberly versus Jordan Grace. Uh, these two had a uh, an actual tough-ass match. Kimberly came from the Indies, and she recently signed a contract with Impact Wrestling. Jordan Grace is a hard hitter herself, and she's going to be taking on Deanna Perrazzo next week on Emergence in her rematch 
for the knockouts title. This match was supposed to be if Kimberly wins as a favor to Deanna Perrazzo that she would get the shot at emergence. So obviously Jordan Grace wins and Kimberly did not. Heath Slater vignettes. <laughs> Heath Slater, the free agent, once again, they're rehashing and I love it and I hate it. I hate the fact that Heath is basically doing the same free agent gimmick that he did in SmackDown when they split the brands up a couple years ago. What I love about it is that this is Heath being Heath now and not what they WWE wants him to be. So this is just quirky stuff. So we're going to see what they keep doing with it. It didn't really take up a lot of time, but I felt that it needed to be uh, talked about. Now, the main event on this show was... Eddie Edwards, and he was defending the uh, world title. Remember, he does the world title open challenge every single week. This week, that was uh, met by Brian Myers, who was the, the former Kurt Hawkins, who has signed with Impact Wrestling. And I am a huge Brian Myers fan. This guy, like I, I put him over a, a lot before. He owns the Creative Pro Wrestling Academy. He is trained. He is the one. Who has trained MJF? He has trained Chris Statlander to name the two people that you know that are out there uh, right now making waves in professional wrestling. They they came from Myers School, and uh, Myers just he he's always thrived on the independence, and he knows wrestling and he knows how to to work it and, and change his character. He wrestles here as a heel, and I like it. And he debuts here as the most professional wrestler, Brian Myers. What a great moniker that is. The most professional... In tw 2020, someone calling themselves the most professional wrestler, uh, I, I just absolutely loved. Uh, this match was a lot of back and forth, and in the end, you know, Myers lost to the Boston Knee Party, which is what it needed to be. You know, at this point, Eddie Edwards needs to continue to keep running over people. So it was a great match. It was a great way to bring in Brian Myers because not only did he look great, but now you've established that he could be an upper mid Carter for you as well. If there's one thing that you need is you need a lot of those people that are mid to upper mid that you can literally rotate in and out all the time, and people know any given day these people can be uh, main attractions. And that's one thing that was made the WWF so big in the late 90s, the 2000s, and even the 80s. You had those people that were always lingering, and it's just, let's pluck and see who's going to face Hogan this week. And you could always go, and then you just re recycle, and then put those people with other people. Impact is doing a great job right now of of that so emergence night one this week is going to be the north uh josh alexander and all ego ethan page uh they are going to be getting their rematch for the for the impact tag team titles against chris save and alex shelley the motor city machine guns i think obviously the machine guns are going to retain here uh because they have more things they can do with them obviously the north beat everybody except for the Machine Guns, and the Good Brothers because they're the two new teams. Everybody else they ran through, it's time to spin the North off with someone else, give the Machine Guns someone new to work with. 
as well. Speaking of the Good Brothers, the Good Brothers will be taking on uh, Ace Austin, Madman Fulton on this one. Uh, obviously, in my opinion, the Good Brothers have to win this match here uh, to continue proving their worth, that what they're being paid, um, and be one of the top teams. I would assume that they'd be, it wouldn't be long that they're going after the Motor City Machine Guns. There will be a X Division title match, a three-way TJP versus Rahit Raju and Chris Bay. I expect Chris Bay to retain the title here. A TNA world title match is going to be Trey Miguel versus Moose. I expect Moose to win that one. So I was wrong earlier. Deanna Perrazzo versus Jordan Grace was going to be next week. It was going to be on night two, which is August the 25th uh, at 8 o'clock. And also on that one, uh, there will be an open challenge match with Eddie Edwards defending the world title. They have not announced, obviously, who that is yet. So I'm looking forward to this week's uh, Impact Wrestling as always. Let's uh, quick take a swig of beer and move on to AEW from this week. Now, when I first started this show, I was big on taking notes from um, what I saw. Now, instead, I'm just pretty much giving you the beef and breaking down the things I liked about it and building on it, which is what I feel is better. Obviously, I'm okay with breaking down matches when we do the pay-per-view recaps, which next weekend, my goodness, my goodness, on a sidebar, Saturday night, we have a special AEW Dynamite, which is being moved from this Wednesday. There will be no Dynamite this Wednesday night. And it will be this Saturday, airing at 6 o'clock Eastern or when the NBA uh, game is over. That two-hour show will overrun the first hour of NXT TakeOver 30, which starts at 7 o'clock this Saturday night on the WWE Network. And then Sunday is SummerSlam on the WWE Network. Did I mention that the following Sunday is another pay-per-view? Yeah. It's WWE Payback. They're doing a pay-per-view one week after SummerSlam. Yeah. Why? It, it literally, I expect everything. half of what you see on SummerSlam, you will also see on Payback. And at least one match from Raw and SmackDown, you will see again on Payback. That week, whatever that week is. So the night after SummerSlam, that week, Raw and SmackDown, you'll see one match from Raw and from SmackDown be repeated on Payback. Guarantee you that. What? Uh, I don't know who. They're not even running events. Why do you need this? Makes no sense to me. So the first match on AEW this week was the Dark Order, which was uh, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson. They took on Nick and Matt. The Young Bucks. So the first thing that I noticed here on AEW this week. So we're live. Thing First thing. There were fans in the crowd. And it looked like they weren't distanced. Obviously, we talked about that in the quick sips. Uh, a little more clarification on that one. Right out of the gate, the Bucks get jumped on the entrance ramp. Matt laid on the stage. And I'm like, okay, well, clearly he's going to lay there until there's a spot for him to jump off the stage. Well, that only took about 40 seconds as Grayson and um, Evil Uno got knocked out of the ring. And there came Matt, fresh as a daisy, doing a front flip off of the stage. And guess what? He fucking missed him. And they sold for it. 
the best part was Randy Orton called <laughs> Randy Orton called Matt Jackson out on that one on Twitter uh, a couple days later. Randy Orton is uh, he doesn't give a fuck. Randy Orton, the guy who you know has to fake punt Ric Flair. Randy Orton, the guy who's making TikTok videos, playing with wrestling figures, and then doing dances with his wife and his daughter. He don't give a fuck. And nobody's going to say shit to him anyway. That's the the beauty of it. Um, this match ended up going into the crowd. Matt ends up getting... They fight Matt into the tunnel here, and then they have several Dark Order members quote-unquote block the tunnel so he can't get out. So they turn their back so that, well, they can't see him. Uh, like, what the fuck? Nick Nick still got the, the win here, despite the fact that Matt was... was you know, I love AEW, and I'm a big AEW supporter, and there's some good stuff still even on this show. But that was horrible. I do not condone that. That is not what I want for AEW. MJF out here again, just like two weeks ago when he announced his his campaign for the AEW world title. It's just that this match, not this match, this promo just wasn't as good and organic, in my opinion, as the last one. He uses this to call out Moxley, and he sends his crew out to cut Moxley off when his music hits. Now, they've been filming at Daily's Pace for several months now. Every single time Moxley comes out, where does Moxley come from? Moxley comes from, I guess you would say that's stage right all the way up. If you continue the camera panning to that way, there's the side of the brick that has the Daily's Place uh, light up on there. There's a door in the back and a ramp. He comes out that door and walks down the ramp and goes through the crowd. MJF points him out to literally where the crowd is and says that's where he always comes, which I'm like, okay, well, this is fucking stupid because we know where Moxley comes out here. And this, of course, means that, oh, well, I guess Moxley tonight's coming through the uh, arena, uh, through the, the, the backstage, which is exactly what he did. He hits the paradigm shift on MJF, then goes right back to the back, picks up a microphone from Tony Khan, who's sitting there timing out the show in uh, cargo shorts and a t-shirt, just chilling. Not giving a fuck. And Moxley cuts a promo on, on MJF. And I didn't really I didn't necessarily dig the the, the segment. I, I didn't hate Moxie's promo, but I just felt that the one thing, the one flaw, and Jimmy Corderas even brought this up on a different scenario on this show, which I'll also talk about, is that AEW does a lot of things that make zero sense and you know that they're making no sense. Like an idiot can read right through what they're doing. And it's like, I don't want to disband my disbelief that much. Like, don't, don't fucking tease my intelligence. Like let's, let's use some logic here. We can work around this stuff here. So wasn't a fan of that. Cody defending the TNT title versus Scorpio sky. Like I said, last week, this was something that was built off of Scorpio sky, having a bunch of singles matches on dark and winning them. They were basically calling him the king of dark and now he finally got his chance here. These two had an okay match. End of the day, Cody wins with a crossroads. Well, it took two crossroads, but Cody still wins. Scorpio Sky looked up at the lights for that one. 
I thought that this could have been a better match, but I guess it's going to leave open for them to maybe have another match down the road. Earlier in the day, AEW finally presented Cody with the fully completed TNT title. Now it's gold-plated and shiny and all this other bullshit. Brody Lee appears on the screen, and he now has the old all-silver-plated TNT title. And he challenges Cody for that title, which will air this Saturday on Dynamite for the, for the title. And he tells Cody that he is going to not only win the TNT title, but he is going to then give Cody back the other title, which I guess is because that title's obsolete. I was a big Brody Lee supporter when he first came in. I liked what he was doing. And Dan didn't. And I tried to defend Brody Lee. But guess what? Dan was right. Besides the Colt Cabana and Anna J stuff, where you know that everybody is referring to the Dark Order and working the Dark Order like it's a cult, but he's trying to get them to join and he wants to hide them all the things that they're doing that are bad. I don't like his promos. They're doing nothing for anybody. I can't take him seriously. And uh, it almost kind of makes me want to say, I guess this is why the WWE never really ever let him talk. Which I also find very weird saying because of how many people have put him over as a talent. But there's nothing that he's done that that, that has impressed me. And, and we're going on several months now. And plenty of time that he's gotten on TV. He's been at everything since COVID happened. So, you know... I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm just not a fan of what they're doing with Brody Lee. And and here's the thing. I don't see any need for Cody to lose the title yet. So, Brody Lee will have lost two matches in his AEW run. One to Moxley for the world title and then two to Cody for the TNT title. So now he's pretty much done everything. He's not worth a lick of shit. So he might as well just fucking leave. Was not a fan of that. Jurassic Express had a match here, uh, which was Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy versus Adam Page, Kenny Omega, and this was for the tag team titles. Okay match here. In the end, once again, fucking Marco Stunt gets involved. Like, you know, Omega hits him with these snapdragons, and he looks like he's gonna fucking break in half. And one of these times he is, and unfortunately, I'm not even going to be mad about it because I just, I, I do not like Marco's stunt. He gives no credibility to your product. I'm not saying he's a nice guy. I, I'm not saying that he's not daring to put himself on the line in there. But he takes away credibility from your product. You, The second they added him to Jurassic Express... It took away, in my opinion, the magic of what should have been Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. The big guy, the heater, if you will, with the little guy being Jungle Boy, who is going to be a star. But putting a guy that's even smaller in your group than the small guy that's supposed to be getting the the heat from the big guy? Like, who the fuck thought about that? End of the day... Um, they hit the V trigger, uh, and, and the last call 
for the uh, under Jungle Boy for the win. At this point, you should have just pinned fucking Luchasaurus, man. It, it hurts Jungle Boy, in my opinion, more that he gets beat here. That's just that's just my take on that uh, situation. Uh, Jericho versus Orange Cassidy was the main event on this show. And remember, it was a $7,000 challenge, and the $7,000 was the, the suit, the white suit jacket that Cassidy ruined from Jericho. These two had a better match than the last one. Both of them uh, get Jericho pretty blown up. Now, it's fair enough to get blown up because you're talking July, August weather. You're talking Florida, humidity, heat. So and and you're under all those lights, it makes sense. But where this match really breaks down, and this is something I forgot to bring up earlier, and I'm a little upset about myself. For Cody and Scorpio Sky, we saw the AEW debut of former WWE senior referee Mike Kyoto, who refereed that title match. Mike Kyoto hired by the WWE back in 1989, was with the company for 31 years until he was released this past April with all the COVID cutoffs. Now, nobody said that he's actually signed with them, but they used him for this show. They tease the former friendship with Jericho and Kyoto, and he says that, you know, he's going to, you know, he'll do the right thing, and Kyoto says, no, he's going to call this match right down the middle. So the finish comes when... Jericho picks up the bat and he tells Kyoto to turn his back. And when he finally goes and turns his back, he goes to hit Orange Cassidy with the, with the baseball bat. Kyoto turns right around, takes the baseball bat from him, which gives Cassidy the opportunity to hit a Michinoku driver for a near fall. And here is where this match fell apart. And I was talking about things that I hated. And Jimmy Corderas broke it down and said that he feels bad that Kyoto had to be a part of this because it's one thing that AEW always does. They always bake. They basically, they do all these run-ins where it makes the referee look like a bumbling idiot. The only way that the only person they've never really done this to is Aubrey Edwards. They did it to her like once, like two weeks ago. But what they do here is Santana Ortiz come running out on the stage, which brings out the best friends. They're brawling on the stage. So at this point, Kyoto gets out of the ring and is just dealing with everything happening on the ramp, all of six feet from this ring. In the meantime, Jake Hager comes running in on the heel side of the crowd, and he slides in the ring and he hits the uh, the. It's almost like a spinebuster splash thing that he does onto Cassidy, and he then runs out of the ring. But the thing is, is at this point he runs back out the heel side. Mike Kyoto obviously knows his cue is to turn back around. Kyoto turns and he turns, if his back is to the ring, he turns left to spin back around to face the ring. Well, the problem with him doing that is he's now looking right at Jake Hager as he's running away from the ring. And it's really insulting the, to the intelligence of the referee that he is. Oh, well, I can't assume that nothing bad just happened there because when I got out of the ring, Orange Cassidy was standing up and now he's laying in the middle of the ring. However, if Kyoto, and this is not something that, 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 that 
Jimmy Corderas talked about. This is something I noticed when I watched it live, and I was ta- watching it with my girlfriend, and I pointed it right out to her. I said, I, I said that that was bad. If he had turned right, the timing of that would have been that Jake Hager would have been gone and out of the picture, and he wouldn't have seen anything, and it would have worked while still being a really lame spot that he got out of the ring. It would have at least protected the, I guess, uh, integrity of Mike Chioda as a senior referee and the match in general for him seeing that. We get back into the ring. There's a roll-up, and Jericho kicks out. And here is where a lot of people got upset, is uh, Cassidy does that roll-up where he kind of almost looks like he's going to hook you for a Russian leg sweep, and then he rolls forward. But he hooks him in it, and Jericho, like, falls backwards, and Cassidy just kind of, like, went with it, and then they worked it into, like, a weird small package for the win. And, of course, you know, the wrestling world on Twitter just goes to Jericho and says, oh, I love how you fucked up the finish. And he's like, no, it went 100% as planned. And I went back today and rewatched it, and I was like, "That's first of all, that's not how he executes the move. So there was a, there was a miscommunication there, but it just looked bad. In my opinion, what they should have done, as Jericho being the senior, uh, you know, guy on that roster, they should have done a quick two count, got up to their feet, done a quick move, go to the win there. Obviously, they wanted to do Cassidy getting the quick win at the second win here, the second match between the two. So this way you can do a rubber match between these guys. Fine with that. But I didn't think that it really did Orange Cassidy any favors, or Jericho for that matter, uh, how they went about doing this. All in all, uh, it was another, it was a good show. Uh, Once again, AEW, I just, it is the show that I watch live every single week, hands down, because it is different, and there is good stuff, but there is still, now we are, what, 41 weeks into Dynamite? Actually, it might even be more than that, don't quote me, Uh, because we started on October 2nd, we're almost to September, probably definitely past uh, 40-some weeks, probably more about 40-45 at this point, but they continue to make me want to watch and I will watch next Saturday uh, on dynamite. I know that there's matches that have been announced. The only thing that I can think of at this point, like I said, is that Cody match where he's going to defend the TNT title against Mr. Brody Lee. And also to continue with the AW women's tag team cup tournament. Uh, it continued earlier this week on YouTube. It was Ivelisse and Diamante. And they defeated Rachel Ellering, the daughter of Paul Ellering, NXT's former Rachel Evers, and her tag team partner, Dasha. Yes, Dasha. You know, the one that was referred to as a robot in WWE for several years, the one that was just on NBC's Titan Games, the one that filled in for Justin Roberts for several weeks, who did a great job, mind you, and is their current Spanish announcer, had her first on-TV match here. Um, cool for her, I guess. Um, and then we had the other match was Lil Swole, Nicole Savoy, and Big Swole. Uh, and they defeated Leva Bates and uh, Rach Chanel. So the um finals of that, I believe, are to happen this week. Well, we're gonna have. The next round, which will be this week, and then the finals are going to happen at All Out. And then this week, uh, well, Monday night, 
We're going to see the Nightmare Sisters, Brandy, Rhodes, and Allie. They're going to be against Big and Little Swole. Tay Conti and Anna Jay are going to take on Ivelisse and Diamante. And then the finals will take place at All Out on September the 5th. So moving on to NXT from this past week. We had this show start off with Karrion Cross versus Danny Burch. You'd expect this to be a hard-hitting match, but it just didn't really click for me. Basically, this match was used as a way to get to Keith Lee hitting the ring and Keith Lee cutting another real jacked-up, pissed-off promo at Karrion Cross. He says that the contract has been signed for their match at TakeOver 30 because Cross says that he won't stop his reign of terror until he gets his NXT World Title match against Keith Lee. So Keith Lee signed the contract and he drops the contract in the, the the folder, if you will, at the ring. Scarlet comes up and gets it. She brings it back to Karrion Cross. Karrion Cross signs it. Scarlet takes it back up, drops it in the ring. And this is where Keith Lee goes and picks it up. And as the camera is shooting from underneath of him, he opens it up to see the signature only to have a fireball explode in his face. Now, even from shooting this below, the fireball did not hit Keith Lee in the face. Now, hey, I am all for not hurting people. But the kind of magic of the fireball was a big Jerry Lawler thing back in the 70s. And I believe that he might have even gotten that from, I don't want to say Jackie Fargo, but it's been, it was a huge thing in Memphis for years. And I know that it got brought in here and there and other stuff, but the fireball was always something that you would throw because it lights up. And when it lights up, it kind of takes away because it almost looks like it gets to the person, but it doesn't. So it's all about the proximity that you are to it. Them shooting it out of the book here, it really kind of looked bad. And they took Keith Lee to the medical facility after this. And Mia Yim went with them, but she'll be back for a match later in the show. Not really a big point. Killian Dane versus Drake Maverick happened on this show. And uh, I'm feeling bad because, I mean, this was a no contest because... Uh, Adam Cole came out, hit the last shot on uh, Killian Dane, and uh, then he called out Pat McAfee. So next week, being this week, we're going to see Pat McAfee and Adam Cole, I guess, have some kind of face-off in the ring right on the go-home show to take over 30. Why I felt bad was because, you know, Drake Maverick has been on TV in a while. He finally gets a match, and while they didn't beat him, this is the ending of the match, which is used to get to something else. They did an actual promo vignette of Dakota Kai basically explaining it was it was a very baby face angle that they shot here of her saying how everybody doesn't take her seriously and how they basically have never given her a chance. I didn't like it because then you have Io Shirai cut about a minute and a half to two-minute promo on Dakota Kai in all Japanese with English subtitles, and it made Shirai seem like the heel. I didn't like how this was done because Shirai is supposed to be your big baby face here in this company. Didn't make sense at all. 
I did also say that Mia Yim made her return. She came back after, you know, from leaving and beat up uh, in Indy Hartwell real quick. And, and that match didn't really need to happen, but it did on this show. Damian Priest and Bronson Reed. Let me talk about this match. Damian Priest, I've been talking about it because he kept losing all these matches that he was in with Keith Lee. Then he had that match with Cameron Grimes and Bronson Reed is a guy that, to me, I kind of always fast forwarded through his matches so far, but I see that he's getting put over. And when a guy like Jim Cornette, who love him or hate him, I'm a Jim Cornette fan. End of the day, this guy has booked more territories, more storylines for more companies that have made more money than anybody that is on a current or past paid writing staff that isn't with the last name Pritchard uh, right now. So the things that he says like that, that he talks about people like uh, Bronson Reed, I listen to him. So I watched this match and this was hard hitting and they put Bronson Reed over here. It was very, very happy with the, with the finish of it. Uh, he, he, he beat him with a jackknife. I mean, Bronson Reed is a, is a, he's got a look that doesn't stand out like a star. Like I don't see Vince McMahon looking at this guy and falling in love with him. Like he'd see someone like Keith Lee's look and what he can do and fall in love with him. But this guy's got something. You got to give him another couple months, maybe years and he'll change his look. And I think that this guy could be a star. He's just got something about him that's really connecting, and I, I am a fan of. Mercedes Martinez and Aaliyah, Robert Stone's brand against Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter. The only thing I want to talk about this match is I'm loving, once again, Mercedes Martinez being the friggin' heater for this team, and Aaliyah afterwards runs in and hugs Mercedes Martinez, Mercedes Martinez looks like she doesn't want anything to do with it. It's a really cool how they went about doing that. Of course, afterwards, Rhea Ripley uh, stormed the ring. Uh, I don't think that they've actually announced it yet, but it only makes sense that we're going to get Mercedes Martinez and Rhea Ripley at NXT TakeOver 30. My biggest issue is I I don't think that really a three-week buildup for this program, well, maybe four, is, is what it needed. I felt it needed more time to this, but... It is what it is. I get this point. So as I'm watching uh, AEW earlier in the night, same time as when NXT is happening, and I see one of the dirt sheet websites post a poll that says something along the lines of the Velveteen Dream has been gone for X amount of months. Does anybody really want to see him back? And most of the comments back were negative. You know, he's got a lot of heat after the speaking out movement that he, um, well, he's in trouble for some pedophilia accusations, none of which have, have been confirmed or you know, really proven. But when things are out there, people tend to believe the narrative more, especially if they don't like someone. And here's where I want to talk about the Dave Meltzer thing that I did earlier. This match was another NXT North American title qualifying match. Kushida versus Cameron Grimes versus a mystery opponent who was the returning Velveteen Dream. That's correct. So the Velveteen Dream returns on this show and does not win this match. No, sir. 
In the end, Cameron Grimes pins Kushida to advance. And then Velveteen Dream turns heel and starts to beat down on Kushida in the ring when Finn Balor makes his return. Well, he wasn't going anywhere, but he appears in the ring and it looks like they're going to spin off the Dream and Finn Balor. Now, here is where my issue is. So, Dave Meltzer reported this week that the reason why the Velveteen, Velveteen Dream was brought back was because Vince McMahon believes that because he's had so many allegations against him that allegations aren't true until they're proven guilty. And that's why he's okay with this. Bullshit. Remember a guy named Enzo Amore? Yeah, that guy. The guy who, night in, night out, had 20,000 seat arenas reciting a promo back and forth with him, verbatim, sold more merchandise than anybody, I'd probably say ever, on the NXT roster, and then got brought up to the main roster and probably did pretty damn well for themselves there, who was released as a champion because there were accusations against him that were eventually proven to be false. So I don't want to hear Dave Meltzer or anybody try and say that Vince McMahon doesn't believe that people are guilty because of an accusation. That, that is the reason why Dirt Sheets have the name Dirt Sheets. Because it's literally just bullshit that they spew together and they put out there for that people that are vulnerable and want to click on it and read it are going to believe it. And then they're going to tell their other fucking keyboard warrior friend that that's the gospel. Again, I've met Dave Meltzer and Dave Meltzer's a great guy, or at least from what I've met of him. I had a nice conversation with him at Wale Mania 2, at WrestleMania uh, weekend in Dallas, Texas. But right here, let me tell you something. That is a bold-faced lie. Either way, Velveteen Dream's back, and to me, he is colder than ever. This heel change is what he needed because this year alone, he's come and gone twice where he was gone for an extended period of time. You just, you just It's time to, to start reheating him up, and what a better way than turn him heel on Finn Balor. Now, do I agree that he should... Beat Finn Balor? No, I don't at all. I think Finn Balor should be kept strong, and losing to a returning Velveteen Dream is not my opinion of how you go about doing that, but hell, what do I know? Real quick, we'll talk about SmackDown Live and some of the nonsensical bullshit that happened on that show. The show started off with Big E versus John Morrison, which was immediately interrupted by Retribution, who beat down both of these guys, and then took off. Okay. Then we get a tri-branded battle royal with had the, icon the Iconics, Billy Kay, Peyton Royce, Shotzi Blackheart, Tegan Knox, Lacey Evans, Naomi, Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, Shayna Baszler, Baszler, Bianca Belair, Nikki Cross, Dana Brooke, Tamina Snuka, and Asuka, who is now in this battle royal, and she ends up winning. So, now the interesting things are starting to come out here. 
This Sunday at SummerSlam, Asuka is going to take on Sasha Banks for the Raw Women's title. She's also going to have another match against Bayley for the SmackDown Women's title. And if that's not enough for you, Bayley and Sasha are going to have to defend the SmackDown Tag Team titles at uh, Payback the weekend after SummerSlam. Which starts to make people's uh, gears grind and turn and say, oh, well, I guess that they're going to drop the the singles titles here and then they're going to drop the tag titles of Payback. Sure, that's a great idea if you want to, you know, blow off a, a feud that could be a WrestleMania feud at a nothing pay-per-view in September you know, a feud that you've been teasing for three years now? Just throw it away on a pay-per-view. So I say no, negative. That is not what is going to happen here. You're going to need, like, they should have done this in, like, January. January, you do the one title loss and then maybe the next pay which I believe is usually Elimination Chamber, you do the other loss there. That's what makes sense to me, but we'll see who's right on, on that situation. Mandy Rose challenges Sonya Deville to a hair versus hair match at SummerSlam. Did I call that one too? I did, but that's fine. I definitely think that this one, Sonya is going to end up with her head shaved. And, uh... I think it's going to be good for her character. She's got, she's got the, they, they've been really trying to put her as an MMA. She is the MMA fighter. Shayna Baszler's the cage fighter. I expect to eventually see, I'm sure, Shayna Baszler, Sonya Deville, and some form of Raw Underground segment. Uh, what else happened on SmackDown? We saw the debut of Joseph Park. They never used him by his name. But anybody in wrestling knows Joseph Park. He's out here as the, I guess, attorney or the assistant for AJ Styles. If you don't know who Joseph Park is, just look up a character named Abyss that wrestled for TNA. And I really think, I really think that you could be seeing some more of Joseph Park, maybe even Abyss, in WWE. Did I mention? Woo. You know, we're all over the place with this show. There was so much this week, and I was trying to keep everything straight. SmackDown let off this week, and it came up more than one time. It did not say PG at the top. No, it said TV 14. We have not seen TV 14 since, I believe, 2007 on a WWE product when they went PG. WWE's... They're taking the gloves off because AEW has defeated them in the demographic on all three of their shows for the last two weeks. Let that sink in. And it's not even like their 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 overall numbers are better than Raw's, and Raw's numbers aren't anything to bring home about or SmackDown's, but their demographic numbers are underneath of AEW's. Their numbers were so low on NXT this week that they didn't even chart. They didn't even make the top 50. Let that one hit you too. But AJ Styles is out here with his number one contenders rankings. 
of who is deserving of the next title shot, and he reveals a blank board that nobody is deserving, which calls Jeff Hardy to come out, and Jeff Hardy ends up signing his name on the board after he takes AJ Styles. And I kind of dug afterwards. Uh, now they were using a marker board for this quote-unquote list. And they're in the back, and Joe Park has this, and AJ has to wipe the name Jeff Hardy off, and it's in permanent marker, so... I guess it's now they're going to work that as a binding scenario. I guess you could maybe work that into SummerSlam, but I wouldn't be shocked if they tried to push that kind of match of Jeff Hardy and AJ Styles for the Intercontinental title onto Payback to give you maybe a reason to watch Payback. I don't know. I don't want to watch Payback, but because of this show, I'm sure we will. They had a sit-down interview with Alexa Bliss in the back, and it was shot differently. They always usually do the the Michael Cole sitting on one side, mic'd up, and talking to Alexa and asking her questions. They shot this almost like a like a Rob Feinstein shoot interview, where you hear the voice in the background echoing, and his his voice is picked up by her microphone. He's not microphone, and but but yet Alexa is, and they basically talk about her friendship with Braun and they play all these old clips, which basically makes it seem like these two are like in love with each other. And then they ask her if she ever thought they ask her if they ever thought that, you know, this could be, you know, more of a, um, of a romantic thing. And she, um, you know, said that, you know, it could have, but what really bothered her was last week when Braun Strowman said that he didn't give a damn about Alexa bliss and then she kind of gets like emotional and turns her head. And then we just go to commercial and we never come back to this interview. And I didn't like that. It didn't have the, the ending there. We see her later in the night, say that she's going to go to the ring and confront Braun Strowman, which does actually happen later in this show. Um, eventually we get Big E versus John Morrison retribution once again interferes, but this time it starts in the back and they attack people in the back of the building, and including they open the door, and uh, there's a bathroom, single bathroom. The door wasn't locked, of course, and there's a guy taking a poop. And uh, classic Vince McMahon potty humor there. And this match, once again, was just to get over, uh, you know, the the retribution angle, which, again, we, we haven't established who these guys are yet, but... It, it, it's here. It's on our program. And I, I'd feel a little better if we, like some weeks there's five of them. Other weeks there's, it almost seems to be 20 of them. There certainly can't be 20 people. Like the NWO jumped the shark. Once they had five, you're going to put, you're going to seriously have 20 people that are going to be in your group. That's where it's a little weird to me. It almost seems cultish because then you're going to end up having a reveal and it'll be like four or five people and no one's going to believe it because they've seen everybody else running around. Either way, last segment on this show, Braun Strowman comes out with a fucking shaved head. That's right. We have signed a hair versus hair match for SummerSlam. The old adage in wrestling is always, hey, if you're going to cut off your hair, make a phone call. We can book something and make some money off of it. But no, Braun Strowman, who's had long hair the entire time and is your current world champion. One week you see him with long hair, 
the next week with no reason is completely bald. Yep, that happened this week. He comes out and he looks like a fucking elf. Well, I mean, he's tall, but he looks like a, I don't even, he's a goddamn cue ball now with a giant beard. He looks, I feel that the hair that he had, I believe it was almost like he had the sides shaved of his head and it back in a ponytail. That was a unique look for him. He looks horrible now. At least if someone, like, when they did the spot earlier this year, and Bray Wyatt ripped the hair off of Daniel Bryan, and he at least returned and had cut his hair off and his beard, that made sense. Because you physically saw the removal, or damage, if you will, of the hair. You saw none of that here. You just see Braun Strowman come out with a completely new look, which I feel makes him not even look as big of a deal. He comes out. Alexa is mad at him, cutting a promo on him. He cuts a promo on Alexis, and he really seems like he's, you know, kind of in a state where he doesn't want to be fucked with. And he's almost the one that's trying to play the mind games. Eventually, Alexa, you know, yells at him to, to look at her. She slaps him in the face a bunch of times, and I think the first time she slapped him, it didn't make a noise, and they edited in a slap, and it was the fakest, loudest slap ever, and the other ones were were present that they were the, the live sound. It was just, it really didn't help this segment at all. Eventually, Strowman picks Alexa up and is going to press slam her. He's, he holds her up for about 20 seconds, walks all around the ring, and then the Fiend's lights go down. And then right as the final light's about to go out, he throws Alexa. The lights go out. The lights come on about three seconds later. Alexa's down in the middle of the ring. The Fiend's in the ring. And now Braun Strowman's up on the screen. And Braun Strowman's just laughing all creepy like like Bray Wyatt usually does with The Fiend. And then The Fiend starts laughing as well. And they're both laughing. And they're both laughing. And then we fade to black on this show. You know, when they first booked Bray Wyatt and uh, and and Strowman, we're like, okay, this is going to be the Fiend, whatever. But then it was Bray Bray Wyatt, Funhouse Bray Wyatt, and the second that happened, we're like, oh, it's going to be the Fiend next month. And then they brought back the original Bray Wyatt, and and just like, I'm not a fan of the Fiend. I'm not a fan of Bray Wyatt. And I've said the reason why I'm not a fan of The Fiend is because The Fiend is a great character. Bray Wyatt has never been good in the ring. He cannot put together a good match. And then you put a character like The Fiend in there, and he's an unbeatable monster who you jobbed out to Goldberg after like six spears. That's the the key to beating The Fiend. Uh, so when they put the belt back on, that's how it'll be. But, you know, of course, everybody else is going to get ran over. But when they need to come up with something real quick, they'll, they'll, they'll kill their characters. It just, I'm not looking forward to SummerSlam. I know a lot of people aren't looking forward to NXT. And I feel that the damper on that is the Pat McAfee aspect. Hey, look, I think Pat McAfee is going to be great next Saturday. Pat McAfee, uh, is not only is a, is a great athlete, he's a young guy. He's only, only as young. He's, I think he actually, he's maybe two years older than Adam Cole. I think Adam Cole's like 31, 32, something like that. Pat McAfee's like 33, 34. 
He bought his own ring. He's got it in his barn. He's being trained by legendary Rip Rogers. He's been training for two years. I think these two are going to surprise you. I think they're going to do it, and I think that they're going to have a good match. I don't think it'll steal the show because it's not going to be the car crash that the ladder match is going to be, but I think that these two are going to have a match, and it's going to exceed the expectations that it has. That being said, I think NXT is still going to be a better show than SummerSlam. All I know is that next week is going to be a ridiculously supersized edition of the show. So make sure that you're listening uh, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and uh, make sure you're following the, the the main boys, Process Potables, NBA Final, not NBA Finals, we're not even there yet. NBA Playoffs start tomorrow, tonight, Monday night with the Sixers uh, at 6.30, so make sure you're subscribing there. I will talk to you next week. Until then, make sure you all stay safe and stay over. (laughs) 